The first cut on this record has been cross-format focused for airplay success. The men beat on the drums. Hello and welcome to Politics Theory Other. My name is Alex Doherty and this week I'll be speaking with David Broder about the political situation in Italy. You can listen to the podcast on SoundCloud, iTunes and Acast and you can also follow us on Facebook and Twitter. We're at Poll Theory Other. In March, Europe experienced another electoral upset, this time in Italy, where the populist five-star movement emerged as the largest single party and the ruling Democrats slumped to just 18.7% of the vote. To discuss the ongoing coalition negotiations, the rise of the populist right and the prospects for the Italian left, this week I'm joined by David Broder. David is a historian of French and Italian communism and is currently writing a book on the crisis of Italian democracy in the post-Cold War era for Verso Books. To a lot of outsiders, Italian politics can seem quite bewildering. There's so many parties, so many electoral coalitions. There's the fact that most of those parties haven't existed in their current form for more than 20 years. Could you explain what the balance of power before the election was and what the election result has meant for the major parties? Um, Well, the previous uh, government was led by the Democrat Party which is uh, the party of the centre-left and leads a coalition called the centre-left, uh, but which was in fact in government uh, from 2013 to 18, together with uh, small forces that had broken off from Berlusconi's uh, centre-right. Uh, and uh, the Democrats under Matteo Renzi uh, had, in the kind of middle of the parliamentary term, seemed to have taken a dominant position uh, the collapse of Berlusconi after his uh, conviction for fraud uh, meant that, say, in the 2014 European elections, uh, the Democrats got 40 percent uh, and the centre-right were reduced to 15 percent. So it had seemed for a while that the that Renzi had uh, succeeded in, in renovating the, the Democrats as, uh, as the central force of Italian politics. And basically from there on in, it was downhill. Uh, in particular with two phenomena, uh, which was firstly the rise of the five-star movement, uh, which is a very uh, um, amorphous movement, which claims to be neither left nor right, uh, and says it's not even a political party, it just represents citizens against the established caste. Uh, And uh, that uh, party took over the mayority of Rome in, in 2016. Uh, and then also on the on the right, uh, there was the rise of the Lega, uh, which uh, a far right party, which used to be uh, for splitting northern Italy off, off the south, uh, but which is now something more like the French uh, Front National, like a general far right party. Uh, so going into the election, uh, the Democrats were under threat from both the five star movement and from the uh, a coalition which brought together Berlusconi's party and the Lega, as well as a couple of smaller allies. 
um, everyone had expected the Democrats to lose. Uh, but nonetheless, uh, it was considered possible that some sort of grand coalition, also including the centre-right, would be possible. And the surprise of the result was that that wasn't true. Uh, the insurgent forces, uh, Five Star and the Lega, uh, together won a majority of votes. Uh, not only was Five Star the biggest single party on 32%, uh, but uh, within the right, the Lega overtook Berlusconi's party and became the, the leader within that coalition. Uh, so while the election didn't produce any uh, overall majority, either of Five Star, the biggest party, or of the centre-right coalition, uh, it, it, it basically guaranteed that there won't be any grand coalition of the centrist parties. Uh, and really the possibilities now involve either the Five Star leader, Luigi Di Maio, or the Lega leader, uh, Matteo Salvini, uh, leading uh, the new government. Uh, of course, it's already uh, more than a month since the election took place on March the 4th, but we're only uh, now beginning to see the coalition negotiations with each uh, Five Star and the Lega hoping to lead the government. The Five Star movement, as you say, it's politically very amorphous. It's sometimes described as populist, sometimes compared to parties such as Podemos in Spain. How would you characterise its politics and how did it first emerge? So the, the Five Star Movement um, emerged uh, from uh, a, a series of uh, circles led by uh, Beppe Grillo, who's a, who used to be a comedian. Uh, and the idea was, uh, so it began in 2007 with these protests, which were called uh, Vafanculo Day. So um, like fuck you day to the uh, established parties, uh, to the media, even to the big trade unions. Uh, all of which are considered part of the political caste, uh, so-called. So really, Italy, uh, so as I say, Five Star actually emerged, um, formed as a party in 2009, um, so obviously during the moment of the financial crisis. But it had also, uh, you, you know, Italy also has been, had sort of economic stagnation really since the beginning of the 1990s. And since that moment, the party system has really been in constant flux and upheaval um so what it was able to express was a, a sort of popular distrust in institutions uh, in the so-called established parties although as you said earlier yourself uh, they've only been going since the 1990s um it and represents uh really i, I think you could say it represents the consciousness of the citizen who feels that they're not able to access patronage structures they're not able to get work. Uh, they find that public services don't work, uh, this kind of thing. Uh, I think the term populist uh, doesn't really help grasp uh, what they stand for. Uh, because while parties like, um, be because it doesn't actually kind of call into being the subject of uh, the people as a kind of organized political force, uh, it stands against elites. But really its rhetoric is, is very much that of, of citizens uh, rather than the people. Uh, I think that that distinction is important in the sense that it, it's not it's not promoting uh, any sort of progressive idea of uh, Italian national identity, uh, and nor really is it, a, a, as it's often claimed, uh, a sort of party of uh, that can be associated with the the the, the far right or with it, or with any kind of sharp nationalism. Uh, really, its ideas, are, despite its rage against the uh, the old parties, the elites, and so on. 
uh, its ideas are surprisingly uh, technocratic. Uh, really what it stands for uh, is a, a depoliticization of the state machine. It has this idea which is kind of like uh, the through um, citizen uh, control, uh, through accountability, it would be possible to create a kind of rational uh, organization of the economy denuded of politics and ideology. Uh, that was the idea of its guru, uh, Gian Roberto Casaleggio, uh, who in turn uh, took this from uh, Adriano Olivetti, who's the uh, guy who makes the typewriters, uh, Olivetti. Um, so Five Star also, it's very noticeable for its lack of, uh, sort of popular participation, uh, despite its talk of direct democracy and so on. Uh, really, the, the average member, the ordinary members never meet, uh, even to the extent that they have uh, an, an online voting on some of the party's decisions. Uh, really, it's kind of it's more like they're they're allowed to assent to decisions that have already been taken. Uh, and what's of course notable in the current phase is while Five Star always said it was totally opposed to the parties, would never make any coalitions or deals. Uh, what we're actually seeing in the post-election period is that Five Star is prepared to deal with basically anyone uh, in order to be able to form a government. So at the moment, its leader, Luigi Di Maio, is keen to seek coalition either with the Lega or with the Democrats, so really with opposite ends of the political spectrum. Um, when there was a vote uh, two weeks ago for the, uh, the president of the Senate, uh, Five Star even made a deal with Forza Italia, uh, Berlusconi's party, in order to have one of its uh, members elected uh, to that role, which is the second most important uh, post in the Italian state. Um, so Five Star is a very uh, heterogeneous and uh, ambiguous movement. Uh, and I think what we're seeing now really is the fact that that, that that the kind of idea of a purely oppositional politics or of a politics solely defined by opposition to corruption or, or political parties themselves uh, really doesn't sort of hold up in the face of the process of uh, actually forming a government. Do you think it's plausible that forming a government could therefore lead to quite a rapid demise in Five Star's electoral support? Um, well, I, th I think it's certainly possible. And indeed, the, the, the way it acts at the moment, like it, it's very obvious in these coalition talks, that it's very keen to, to be seen not to sort of too uh, obviously go with either the Lega or with the Democrats. Like it, it wants to sort of remain all things to all people as long as possible and not be too easily defined. Um, the, the caveat I'd place on that, though, is that um, I think it has succeeded in, um, in sort of building itself as a as a sort of structuring part of the Italian political system. I mean, it is, of course, the biggest party. Um, so I, I wouldn't be confident, for example, that left-wing voters or sort of former left-wing voters who've now moved to Five Star, I'm not sure that they're necessarily going to uh, abandon it or lose faith simply because it becomes more openly uh, right-wing. Um, should it, for example, go into coalition with the Lega? I think the problem is that, so um, so for example, one of the most telling uh, surveys after the election showed that the uh, of, of voters who used to vote for the Communist Party, uh, of course, Italy used to have the biggest Communist Party in the West and uh, regularly scored over 30% of the vote. Uh, so the survey showed that 
among those older ex-communist voters, more voted for Five Star than for any other party. And really what Five Star has been able to uh, exploit and what it builds on and expresses is a loss of faith in politics uh, combined with the decline of strong political identities and in particular of of a kind of a class political identity. So you basically replace uh, the kind of communist idea of the working class or even of uh, the people uh, with just kind of atomized citizens. Um, so I, I think the while I would in, indeed hope that uh, that Five Star will not uh, stand the test of government and that uh, uh, forces to its left would be able to benefit from that. Um, I think the problem with, with sort of ho- hoping for that is that um, the Five Star basically expresses a kind of political counter-revolution uh, in which uh, people uh, really lack the kind of cultural and political bearings or the kind of class identity which would allow them well to judge uh, its actions uh, in government. So I think certainly uh, it's lost a lot of its oppositional edge already, uh, but I think it remains to be seen. Uh, so indeed, even in terms of, for example, um, Five Star used to be for leaving the euro uh, in the run-up to the current election. It called for a universal uh, citizen's income. Uh, and we already see it kind of giving up these kind of uh, sharper policy positions. Uh, but nonetheless, I think it remains to be seen whether that will actually lead uh, to its voters uh, abandoning it. From outside of Italy, a lot of the narrative in the media during the election seemed to focus on the question of fascism and the idea that fascism was making a comeback in its historic heartland. There were articles in The Guardian on Casa Pound and so on. My sense is that you think this is all rather overblown. Is that correct? <laughs> uh, yes, indeed. I mean, uh, obviously, so, so part of the problem I have with this is it's kind of like I don't want to deny at all the fact that um, there is a vibrant fascist subculture in Italy, uh, which is very strong. If you look at, for example, and you know, for example, in the student, uh, the the uh, high school students' unions in Rome. Uh, several are run by the Casa, ba- Casa Pound youth wing. Uh, obviously, there's things like football, uh, ultras, uh, hooligans as well, where fascists have a strong presence. Um, and indeed, in the run-up to the election, there was a uh, a, a terrorist attack by a, by a fascist in uh, Maturata, where he, uh, Luca Trainer, uh, shot at a random group of uh, West African people. So I, w- I wouldn't want to sort of say that they don't exist or aren't a problem. Um, However, I think that really seeing the current developments in Italian politics through the prism of the rise of fascism is basically completely disorienting and uh, hysterical. Um, I think really it kind of fits into a narrative that in particular the Democratic Party want to present, uh, kind of making it seem as if uh, Italian politics is similar to French, uh, where basically the sort of heroic pro-European liberals are defending democracy against uh, fascism. Uh, And so they use the activity of small groups like Casa Pound in order to to sort of associate that somehow with Five Star and and even the Lega, uh, which I I think is um, misunderstands the the strength of of those uh, insurgent movements. 
to be clear, Casa Pound in the election got, uh, I believe, uh, 0.9% of the vote. Um, so, and, you know, it's, it's one thing to say, well, there is an active fascist subculture in Italy, but it's actually much smaller than it's been at any point since World War II. Uh, in the 1970s, fascists, uh, the uh, MSI, uh, fascist party, regularly scored 8 9% in national elections. Uh, in the 1970s, hundreds of people were killed by fascist terrorist attacks. So while the existence of fascist groups is a problem, it's really dramatically less so than it has been uh, for decades. Um, I think the the, the problem that that's um, in Italy is, is something quite different. And, and also, I mean, I think obviously it's kind of salacious and interesting to see these uh, fascist groups, uh, it, it, particularly the Channel 4 documentary shortly before the election about Casa Pound, um, where they, they interview some of the leaders and they take great joy in kind of boasting, you know, we're filling in uh, in the working class areas which the left has abandoned. We're doing all this social solidarity, you know, like having doctors and cleaning up neighborhoods. Um, and filling in, indeed, for the uh, absent police, as the, uh, the Casa Pound claimed. And, and the Channel 4 video, as well as Tobias Jones' article in The Guardian, pretty much took uh, for granted, and sort of took at face value, uh, these kind of claims. Um, I think insofar as they do have any truth, they uh, correspond to a, a much broader phenomenon, though, which is a kind of, uh, it, it is true that there is a, uh, a retreat of what was once the political left um, from working class communities. Um, so there are certainly some social centers like Yeso Pazzo in Naples, for example, which do great uh, community activism at the territorial level. But it's obviously true that the uh, what was once the Communist Party has a kind of uh, roots in everyday life and experience through its cooperatives and unions and so on which the uh, Democratic Party uh, totally lacks. Um, and there is a kind of general disintegration of the, uh, of the working class and the social layers on which the left used to be based. But, I mean, I think it's totally wrong to claim that those people are turning to fascism instead. Um, they're voting for Five Star and in certain northern areas, the Lager. Um, which, while uh, expressing often uh, harsh anti-immigrant uh, rhetoric, uh, have nothing to do with fascism. And uh, I think to say they are is, uh, is uh, quite a grotesque uh, um, <laughs> misrepresentation of what fascism actually was. Do you think this in some ways parallels the reaction of liberals and parts of the Italian left to Berlusconi during the 90s and the early 2000s when it seems to be that the response was very much this guy is a fascist and we must do everything we can and unite to stop him but without actually positing any kind of transformative program for Italy that might undercut the support for somebody like Berlusconi? Yes, absolutely so. I mean, the 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 when um, when Berlusconi first emerged in 1994, uh, he brought onto the political stage in his alliance uh, kind of former members of fascist uh, organisations like MSI, which I mentioned, uh, and uh, sort of he allowed them into the mainstream. And uh, so even, for example, uh, Benito Mussolini's uh, granddaughter Alessandra. 
uh, was uh, part of uh, Berlusconi's party. Um, they had former MSI, former fascist uh, um, um, Gianni Alemano, was the mayor of Rome in Berlusconi's alliance. And Berlusconi said various things about, well, Mussolini wasn't really all so bad and so on. And this um, kind of trampling on the uh, sort of the anti-fascist mores of the of the post-war Italian Republic uh, drew a very sharp reaction and um, uh, coloured a lot of the the left and centre-left response to him as as if it were an anti-fascist struggle. Um, at the same time, though, the uh, the sort of horribleness of Mussolini, oh, sorry, of Berlusconi, uh, as, as, um, yeah, of Berlusconi, as well as his uh, sexism and his sort of racist and homophobic comments and so on. Uh, the problem was is that that it effectively served as a means for um, the the liberals and the social democrats who wanted to convert the old communist left into uh, the neoliberal and centrist democrat party. It kind of served as an uh, as a excuse uh, because it, it was the perfect foil for turning politics away from the terrain of class and uh, social inequality and poverty and unemployment onto a battle of identities, um, going in a sense hand in hand with the sort of destruction of the the old labour movement. Um, this this as I say, basically serve to realign politics around uh, values, uh, issues, and a kind of postmodern uh, sort of recovery of the old anti-fascist versus fascist divide. Um, the problem was is that while that did uh, work for the, uh, the, the people who wanted to turn the old Communist Party into something like the US Democrats, um, and indeed, they, they basically secured the allegiance even of forces like Rifondazione Comunista, uh, the attempt to revive the, the old Communist Party. Um, into, it served them in, in helping form this kind of popular front defined only by its opposition to Berlusconi. And basically what that did over the 1990s and 2000s uh, was uh, serve to uh, destroy uh, any sort of class-based left, um, even to the extent that members of Rifondazione uh, would vote for um, harsh budget cuts and such like in order to avoid um, allowing Berlusconi back into power. So they backed governments like Lamberto Dini uh, in the mid-90s, who was a technocrat, and then uh, Romano Prodi, a Christian Democrat in the mid-2000s, so, so it's this kind of discipline on the left where it sells out its own voters in the name of uh, keeping in power nominally centre-left governments, which will uh, resist uh, Berlusconi. And this basically destroyed the class-based left as a political subject and completely opened the way for Five Star uh, because it speaks to people's interests and anger and not only kind of against uh, Berlusconi. Of course, the great irony was that uh, in by the time of the uh, 2013 election, when um, when Italy was uh, uh, sort of under the cosh from the European Central Bank and having austerity measures imposed and had a uh, uh, indecisive election result, by then the the Democrats were actually in coalition with Berlusconi uh, in the name of 
defending sort of budgetary responsibility and resisting the populists of Five Star. Indeed, it was widely assumed before the current, uh, before, sorry, last month's general election, that uh, the Democrats and Berlusconi would indeed go into government if possible. So whereas Berlusconi had once himself been the, the sort of bogeyman, uh, the so-called fascist, who every who which all other political principle had to be abandoned in order to fight, um, then he eventually was brought into the fold uh, because he was against uh, Five Star, which was now held up as the new bogeyman. Um, I think you can see a certain parallel in the the rehabilitation of uh, George W. Bush in the United States uh, by certain liberal media. So while, of course, in the early 2000s, there was a lot of uh, reference to him being different from all the previous Republicans, uh, to being a fascist, a maniac, and stupid, and so on, uh, he's now venerated by people like Ellen, Ellen DeGeneres and by uh, the Washington Post and so on as a kind of good old standard conservative as against the nasty uh, fascist uh, Trump. Given what's happened to the Democrats in the election, as you say, they've polled below 20%. We've seen, obviously, a leftward turn in the British Labour Party, and to a much lesser extent, there's been a bit of a turn to the left amongst the French socialists, and we saw the No Groco campaign within the German SPDE. Do the Democrats have any kind of survival instinct that might kick in at this point? Um, well, I... I... Don't see there as being strong forces within the Democrat Party to pull it further to the left. Uh, partly also because after the 2016 constitutional referendum, which Matteo Renzi uh, introduced uh, and then lost, um, which which was basically a, a plan to uh, strengthen the executive to push through various uh, neoliberal reforms. When that failed, a lot of the, the sort of historic communist leaders of the Democrat Party left and formed their own rival list. Um, so a lot of the people who may have otherwise uh, been sort of pushing the Democrats to the left now uh, have, in fact, already quit the party. Um, I think also, though, I mean, the, the Democrat Party is in many ways defined precisely by its rejection of its own communist past. Uh, it's a party made up of the old communist party, together with some fragments of the old Christian Democrat party, uh, sort of centrist Catholics. Um, and after the f collapse of 1991 and the uh, sort of uh, anti-communist uh, counter-cultural counter-revolution counter of that time, the Democrats have always defined themselves precisely by being a centrist party of government opposed to populism. Uh, and the the nature of its attacks on the Five Star uh, as sort of uh, hysterical and stupid and representing sort of lazy Southerners and such like, I think would lead it, leave it ill-equipped to mount such an about turn. Um, in a way, I, I'd actually slightly disagree with the premise of the question in the sense that the well, the Labour Party has moved to the left. I don't think really any of the other sort of historic centre-left parties have done so. Um, like in, if you look at, say, France, I mean, the much more dynamic left force is, is France Insoumise, uh, or you obviously can take other examples like uh, in Spain, the Podemos and so on. Um, you know, it, it took the emergence of a, of a new party sort of to replace 
the, the dead uh, center left. Um, what we're seeing now in the Democrats is a debate over whether to um, whether to support a five-star government uh, in order to keep out the uh, the Lega, to keep out Matteo Salvini. And um, despite the fact that the Democrats uh, were in recent years, as I said, even in coalition with Berlusconi, um, the at the moment it looks like very few people are up for a deal with the Five Star and that they'd rather stay in opposition. Uh, Matteo Renzi and then his uh, temporary replacement as secretary, um, Maurizio Martina, have both taken a very firm line against any kind of discussions or negotiations with Five Star. Um, and really they seem to be hoping that uh, the PD, well, basically they're hoping that Five Star will go into coalition with the right and then fuck up terribly and then they'll be able to pick up the pieces from opposition. Um, I think that's a pretty risky strategy um, given that, uh, you know, it's, it's hard to see really how the PD would regenerate itself in opposition. One of its most notable traits, uh, the Democrat Party, is, is the fact that its vote is so uh, old. Uh, so it, uh, it actually came in first place among over 65s. And then in the younger category, I believe under 34-year-olds, it was only in fourth place. Um, so, you know, it's, it's hard to see because also because the, the biggest union, the uh, Cigiele has, uh, withdrawn its support for the Democrats. Um, so without either a kind of movement pressure on it or an influx of young people, it's really hard to see where the force for change in the Democrats, uh, would actually come. Uh, it's currently, you know, in the, in the recent election, it fell to 18%. Um, and I think it's probably on a course to further decline uh, in a manner of its uh, sort of Dutch and French and so on counterparts. Um, really, it, it, it represents older and middle class voters in former communist regions. And uh, that's hardly a recipe for, uh, for rebuilding. Could you say something about the more Europe group led by Emma Bonino, which seems quite interesting in some respects? From a UK perspective, it seems almost the ideal hardline and centrist Remainer person's idea of a good project. Socially very liberal, economically extremely neoliberal, and very much oriented towards the EU institutions. What do you make of it, and what is its social base and background? There's something funny about um, Pure Europa, because it, its leader, you mentioned Emma Bonino, is often uh, sort of presented both by Italian and foreign min and foreign media as this kind of um, as a sort of popular campaigning figure, radical, someone principled and so on, uh, almost as if she was somehow not really a politician, but uh, but a but a but a rebel, a campaigner and so on. Um, and Indeed, there was a, a piece on The Guardian uh, to, to this effect, which was quite widely shared in Italy as well. Um, and without doubt, uh, Emma Bonino was uh, in the past a prominent campaigner for uh, abortion rights, uh, which is to her credit. Otherwise, I don't think there's much we could say positive about her. Um, so when you when you say the 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 um, they're a neoliberal force. I mean, to, to, to emphasize how, quite how true that is, in the 1994 
elections when Berlusconi first uh, appeared on the stage in order to resist the uh, post-communists uh, who, who then looked close to power. Uh, Bonino actually stood in Berlusconi's coalition. And not only that, but she was in fact a candidate for the Lega Nord um, because they were effectively promising to carry out a Thatcherite revolution in Italy uh, in the uh, sort of taking advantage of the uh, political upheavals of the early 90s uh, to, to remodel the, the, the country. And uh, Pew Europa uh, is a, uh, a clearly a party of the right, uh, but one which has a certain uh, sort of liberal, sort of socially liberal uh, aura. Um, and it was very heavily promoted by media. It had strikingly more publicity than any of the other parties. I mean, in terms of stuff like, um, you know, uh, having um, big TV screens at train stations, publicity on all the buses, uh, on the uh, billboards in the street and so on. So it certainly seemed like a very well-financed uh, operation and one which um, a certain kind of media was, was keen to push, you know, uh, so they were saying Five Star and the Lega wanted to quit Europe, whereas Pew Europa, more Europe, uh, were representing the majority of Italians who wanted to stay in the Euro and European Union. Um, and interesting in that context is that uh, Pew Europa scored only 2% of the vote and elected a small handful of, of MPs. Um, yeah, I mean, I, I think it's it's kind of... Um, it has a certain uh, sort of elitist tone as well, which I find quite strange for any democratic party. Uh, on the night of the election results, when um, you know the Five Star and Lega made their breakthrough, um, the the Pew Europa spokesman says it was outrageous that those parties had done so well, because most democratic countries would have safeguards to prevent them from rising in the polls, um, which is quite a, a claim from a representative of the party with only a 2% support. Do we know where the funding for More Europe has come from, given that, as you say, it's a very small party, doesn't have many members? How is it able to pay for all this election propaganda? I'm not sure, to be honest. I don't know. But in, in, uh, in one of the, I think, the 1999 European election, Bonino also made a huge breakthrough uh, on a, on what was widely remarked to be a surprisingly uh, uh, active uh, campaign for a party with no members, uh, she was the foreign minister from. So this is the other thing about the other thing about um, Pueropa uh, and Bonino is that uh, it's often said that Bonino is a anti-war activist, and uh, in so she she originally stood for a party called the Radical Party, uh, and then uh, they in their logo had like the uh, the the CND badge, you know, anti-nuclear uh, logo, and uh, throughout the 1990s and 2000s, the lists in which she ran had the uh, the the CND logo, and, and it's often repeated she's a pacifist, and uh, this is an uh, unusual claim given that I think Bonino has probably supported Italy's involvement in every war that took place in the last 25 or 30 years. Um, the Iraq War, Kosovo, Afghanistan. Uh, she was herself um, foreign minister during the uh, Afghan War. Um, so it's, uh, yeah, I mean, I, I guess they're trying to build her up as something like 
a Italian version of Hillary Clinton, uh, uh, perhaps without realizing quite how accurate that is, and uh, mainly for bad reasons. You mentioned earlier the attack in Maturata on those six African migrants carried out by a former Lega candidate. What's been the role of migration in this election? Oh, well, I mean, it's been really central. Um, I mean, the, the interesting thing with the... Because really there's, um, there's there's two parts of it, really, one of which is the actual um, refugee crisis in terms of uh, the... Uh, crossings from North Africa, really mainly of people who don't actually want to stay in Italy, uh, but uh, many thousands of people each year die uh, trying to make the crossing. Um, Italy uh, had a program called Mare Nostrum, like an RC, uh, where it would uh, try to uh, to take from the water the, the migrants who are in danger and so on. And this was then replaced by a European Union initiative. Um, and I think it's it's very widely perceived in Italy that Italy is taking more migrants than anywhere else, and that it's unfair that the European Union is imposing its burden, this burden on Italy specifically. Um, this has an element of truth insofar as the Dublin Agreement uh, forces the states on the periphery of the European Union, uh, the, the countries where the migrants actually arrive, to keep them there. Um, however, it's, and so therefore Italy, obviously being on the Mediterranean, is one of the big receiver countries. Uh, although it's not actually true that Italy uh, does receive more uh, refugees than countries like, um, well, most obviously Germany uh, or France. Um, part of the issue also is that the, the migrant crisis feeds into a, a much wider uh, distrust for state institutions and for the European Union. Um, one of the most striking examples of this was the uh, corruption scandal in Rome in 2014. Uh, basically, the, uh, the, um, the, the migrants who, who uh, Italy is forced to keep, or meant to keep on its soil, uh, it's, uh, it receives money from the European Union in order to uh, sort of pay for their upkeep. And the Rome City Council was distributing uh, some billions of euros to um, to so-called reception centres, which were meant to to as I say to to pay for the migrants' upkeep, and basically what happened was that the uh, a lot of the contracts for the reception centres were handed to mafiosi, uh, and so uh, basically they were just pocketing the money and letting the uh, immigrants leave, um, and this was um, although the corruption scandal also involved other kinds of public services. The, uh, the refugee issue was definitely the most uh, emotive and uh, symbolically Im important. Um, so, so it kind of fed this sense, which is like ever more migrants are coming, which isn't actually true. Uh, but yeah, ever more migrants are coming and the state isn't able to handle it. But they pigheadedly go on saying, well, Europe is asking us to do it. Um, and in this context, um, uh, the uh, Lega in particular has been able to whip up a frenzy of anti-immigrant uh, feeling, uh, also drawing on, as I say, a general uh, distrust for, for, for the state uh, and also a kind of broad sense of cultural decline linked to Italy's uh, sort of obvious general economic and social malaise. Um, so, yes, yeah, so in the election, uh, there were some uh, very heated uh, exchanges on 
migration. But nonetheless, it, it would be mistaken to imagine that it was like, oh, the liberals of the Democrats are standing up for the migrants, whereas the populists are attacking them. Um, so um, when the 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 attack uh, I mentioned in Maturat, where the guy, the former Labour candidate, shot at the migrants, was very telling, uh, because. Um, so the Lega and also Forza Italia, Berlusconi's party, their reaction was, um, we need to kick out the illegal immigrants, we need to expel 600,000 people. But even uh, the Democrats, say Matteo Renzi, the, the former prime minister, said his reaction to the terrorist attack was like, don't take the law into your own hands, we'll be uh, recruiting 10,000 more police. And the interior minister, also of the Democrat Party, uh, Marco Minitti, said um, that he had tried to stop migrants reaching Italy precisely in order to uh, prevent this kind of explosion of rage from uh, the Italian citizens against the migrants. So all sides of the political debate sort of immediately turned the issue on its head to being one of like, how do we stop the migration that causes these outbursts of popular anger rather than there being any kind of like anti-racist um, response to the, to the attack. Um, that said, I mean, uh, so uh, also amidst the kind of general uh, sort of hopelessness and decay of Italian society, it's obvious that migration is becoming a, a, a really much more central political issue. Um, I doubt that in practice, the any Italian government would do anything like uh, re, uh, expelling 600,000 uh, people. And I think that's a, a bluster. But uh, definitely there is a, a rising racist climate and also really very little to oppose it. Um, while Italy has a sort of strong um, Republican and anti-fascist tradition inherited from obviously the, the, the resistance, the war, the old Communist Party, and that in some way uh, feeds into uh, anti-fascist associations and the sort of establishment left even today. Uh, it doesn't take strong anti-racist positions and uh, sort of racial minorities and ethnic minority uh, populations uh, in Italy uh, are too small and dispersed to really be sort of um, national political actors. So I think in the, in the face of this rising sentiment, there are certainly uh, great activists and groups sort of trying to fight against it, but I don't think that they uh, get much of a hearing. I think that the general debate, uh, including the, the main liberal parties, is, uh, very, is building a climate very hostile to migrants and ethnic minorities. To return to the Italian left for a moment, I'm, uh, I'm old enough to remember when Rifondazione Comunista was a, a big inspiration to the European left. I went to the 2002 European Social Forum in Florence. Uh, at the time, Rifondazione were getting millions of votes. What happened? <laughs> yeah, I mean, I think the... So Rifondazione, when it was first formed, did look very promising. Um, it, so it was formed uh, in 1991 when the old Communist Party dissolved, uh, ultimately becoming the Democrat Party. Uh, so around a third of the members were opposed to the, uh, the dissolution, and uh, most of them uh, set up 
Rifidazione, so it was a party which had 200,000 members in several of its early electoral performances. It got sort of upwards of 3 million votes, but 10%. Um, and as, uh, as you may have noticed in Florence, it was seen as, despite its kind of uh, origins in the sort of old communist tradition, it was seen as a party that was able to combine parliamentary politics with a very positive attitude towards uh, sort of social movements uh, to extra parliamentary action. Uh, so it was seen as a kind of nice and unsectarian, but also quite serious and large political party. Um, I think the basic problem it had is that it was really governed by the desire not to throw away the Communist Party tradition, but then also included a lot of elements, uh, for example, the former members of uh, proletarian democracy uh, and uh, Trotskyists and uh, sort of other kind of movementist or um, far left currents, and that it never really arrived at a defining itself a new political identity uh, all of the groups in it um, were it was it was a bit like kind of if you asked anyone who was in it what their politics was they'd always tell you something from the 1980s rather than uh, talk about Rifondazione's own politics um, I think it never really managed to define its own uh, political identity or strategy so it tended just to sort of drift from one from sort of the latest campaign to the next in a uh, in an incoherent way uh, and never really talked through uh, its differences or addressed what the problems of the old Communist Party actually were. Um, and this led it to be quite bad at, well, this is basically it very easily ran into difficulty. Um, one of the uh, notable early example of this was um, Fausto Bertinotti, who was its leader throughout the late 90s and early 2000s, um, he attempted to give the to give Rifondazione a new sort of governing identity, uh, uh, a politics able to uh, encapsulate and attract all of its currents, uh, and that that idea was uh, non-violence, um, and really that seemed very much governed by the sort of it was like a very defensive response to the sort of ambient uh, anti-communism of the time. Um, so Rifondazione sort of over time sort of repudiated Cuba uh, because of violence, the you know, death penalty in Cuba. So therefore it sort of joined in the, um, the, the sort of general uh, condemnation of, of the Castro regime. Or for example, or the, the non-violence thing actually came up in particular during a, a debate in the early 2000s in the sort of driven by revisionist historians uh, to the effect that um, the, the killings perpetrated by resistance fighters in northeastern Italy, uh, the so-called uh, foibe, so basically the killing of accused of uh, supposed uh, fascist collaborators, that really that, that use of violence was just as bad as the fascists' violence. Uh, so, so it sort of brought this kind of moral relativism where the only thing that basically violence is bad, no matter from what quarter, um, which was, to say the least, a fairly weak response to the uh, the revisionist offensive against both the resistance legacy uh, and against the socialist countries. Um, the other problem, 
also because Rifondazione uh, was basically sort of pitched back and forth by the latest events rather than having a clear identity of its own. It was never um, it was never an anti-systemic force in the way that even Five Star has been able to in recent years. Um, so it, it never um, it, it always saw itself as sort of part of the centre left of a broad alliance, including even the Democrats, which it would one day be able to influence or sort of win over. Uh, and that in, partic- in particular, the glue for that was the uh, threat of Berlusconi. And uh, this uh, all came together in uh, 2007 when the when Rifondazioni was in government together with uh, Prodi, who was a former Christian Democrat, uh, and uh, it, in basically uh, the government wanted war credits. They wanted money to refinance the uh, mission in Afghanistan, and when. Um, and basically, if the uh, motion had failed, the government would have fallen and they'd have risked being elections or Berlusconi forming a new government. So therefore, Riff and Dutton, voted for the war in order to block Berlusconi. And then when some of its uh, senators rebelled, uh, they were uh, expelled from Riff and uh, This had an evident uh, demoralizing effect on its members uh, because, you know, what's, what's the point of having a separate party if you just go along with whatever the liberals say? And uh, in 2008, uh, Rifondazio lost all of its MPs. Uh, and that was the first time since World War II that there were no communists in parliament. This was also the moment that Five Star took off, and basically, uh, which was formed in 2007 to nine. And uh, really, the, the, when the crisis, sort of um, uh, the financial crisis, worsened Italians' living standards even further, um, the Five Star Movement was much better able to pose as a systemic, as an anti-systemic, and new and rising political force than anyone on the left was. Um, it should also be said, though, I, I think that the Rifondazioni's problems weren't only a matter of um, its, its own very bad political choices and lack of cohesion. I, I think, in a way, the rise of Five Star also does respond to a real social phenomenon, in in the sense that the um, the length of the the almost three decades of economic crisis and the breaking up of the working class um, since the 2008 crisis, manufacturing employment has fallen by about a third. Um, the the actual kind of class subject, the 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 sense of of belonging, identity with work, that kind of thing, has actually uh, uh, weakened as a social phenomenon. And uh, that's the kind of base that the left would have hoped to grow from uh, and, and has been sort of pulverized and atomized. So Five Star much better represents. Um, so, so what I mean is that uh, that that kind of social basis, social base is much more liable to a sort of atomized sense of anger and grievance uh, just expressed through the passive act of voting than, than it does sort of create the conditions for solidarity or an optimistic vision of, of the future, uh, such as you'd expect a left-wing party to uh, to promote. One of Italy's newest political parties is Patare al Popolo, which seems to derive some inspiration from things like Momentum and the transformation of the British Labour Party, and also perhaps Podemos in Spain. Could you say something about their politics, how they did in the election, and what you think their prospects are? Um, well, 
So Podero Popolo was basically uh, founded by a social center in Naples called Yeso Pazzo, which is a very big and impressive uh, facility. They're, they call themselves a house of the people. And the idea is that they provide all sorts of services uh, from, you know, from theater and boxing clubs to, to helping migrants learn Italian, uh, giving a trade union advice, that kind of thing. So it's very impressive and territorially rooted. And basically, they wanted to go onto the national political stage, given the lack of any other kind of activist left force. And in the election, they brought together um, other small communist parties, including Rifondazione uh, and other parties that call themselves the Communist Party, but which are very small. Um, and the fact that it was a social center that made the appeal allowed them to serve as a kind of glue for those other parties and to overcome somewhat their kind of sectarian bickering because it was seen as a sort of neutral outside force and everyone thinks they're sort of great activists and so on. Um, I think the the foreign comparisons are, um, it they're more like invoked for this in order to uh, give optimism than they are really anything to do with the politics of Patero Popolo. I mean, most obviously, the a comparison with momentum uh, is is obviously very misplaced in the sense that uh, the uh, the you know the transformation of the Labour Party was the taking over of a historic uh, centre left party, which seems to be uh, very much in decay and to very much shifted to the right, and so the activists entered into the old party and took it over. Whereas Patero Popolo was an attempt to create something entirely from scratch. Um, it's also different even from parties like Podemos and France Insoumise in the sense that it's a lot less, uh, it, it doesn't really have any kind of discourse of like sovereignty or, or sort of present an idea of Italianness um, in, in the way that those parties are inspired by people like uh, Chantal Mouffe and Ernest Leclerc. Um, but I think it, the, the, the thing they were trying to get at by making the comparison was that they were of the, you know, they wanted to represent young and unrepresented people. And they wanted to take inspiration from successful foreign examples, rather than just accept that the Italian left is sort of fucked and, and dead and so on. Um, I mean, I think politically, it's very torn between its component parts and was more like a coalition of small groups than a party. Um, this is particularly notable with regard to the European question, where some of its components are in favor of immediately leaving the Euro and Eurozone, uh, so the Euro and European Union, uh, whereas others want to stay. So therefore it, it settled on a kind of ambiguous uh, call to break with the EU treaties without really explaining what that meant. Um, so I think it's its problem really is that while a party like Five Star will sort of make bold promises and then sort of back away from them, what Potero Popolo was more like was a kind of constant negotiation between its component parts, uh, which left it without a very strong program or identity. And it's it was a bit of a mishmash. Uh, that, and it, also, it has to be said, it, its its performance was very much compromised by the fact that it only set up a few months before the election actually took place, uh, and it didn't really have any kind of name profile. 
um, it held a lot of local assemblies, but I don't think it had a great sort of territorial organization. And in the end, it got one percent of the vote, which is obviously, uh, uh, you know, they were. I, I think it wasn't that surprising, but they were fairly disappointed, also in the sense that even in 2013, the list Refundazione was part of scored two uh, percent. But but yeah, I mean, I, I think really the the thing is is that the Italian left hasn't even begun to recover from the collapse of the Communist Party. And the big barrier to doing so is 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 a kind of unwillingness to let go of its uh, ideological heritage and indeed symbolism. So, you, so even Potera Popolo, which was effectively run by a- activists from social centres, nonetheless kind of reproposes uh, the sort of old Communist Party talking points, like uh, talking about the the so-called, uh, you know, like um, this identification with the Italian constitution, saying it's like born of the resistance and like it's still to be implemented, um, or or kind of saying, well, there's no point talking about class when we mean the people, which is sort of all of the unrepresented and exploited categories. Um, so I think I think really it hasn't sort of dealt with the 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 yeah it doesn't really like have any explanation of how come the communist party failed and indeed why did the communist party ultimately turn out like it did in the you know joining and and, and taking part in the creation of the democrats um so i think the the situation is, is a negative one because the the social base of the left has been destroyed and a lot of its old voters have turned to the five star movement so it increasingly relies on being a kind of subculture uh, which talks to itself using a from which is uh, very dangerous um as for patera popolo's future um i mean currently there's some discussion of whether it would stand in the 2019 european elections together with uh, a, a planned list to be led by Jean-Luc Mélenchon, the, the leader of France and Soumise, uh, which would effectively be a more like anti-EU stance, which could p- cause problems internally. Uh, the fact that the other, the, the fact that the, the centre-left list, as I said, the, peop- the communists who split from the Democrats, sorry, ex-communists who split from the Democrats, people like uh, Pierluigi Bersani, who's the, the old Democrat leader, uh, they said of a centre-left list called Free and Equal, and that only got 3%. <laughs> so the fact that that did so weakly also means that I don't think that there's going to be a big pull on the Rifondazione to to sort of turn towards them. Um, so, yeah, I mean, I think Potero Popolo, they had a uh, assembly a couple of weeks ago in Rome with about 1,000 people. And I think their idea now is to try and, uh, in, is to try and sort of embed themselves in local territorial uh, activity, uh, but yeah, I mean, I think it's uh, it's a very difficult uh, even to begin to to reorganise in the current context. Uh, if Five Star go into government, they're certainly going to have problems and difficulties. Um, but I think uh, it's it's also a matter of kind of rebuilding the kind of political understanding as well as the kind of bases of like solidarity and social engagement and like the belief 
that uh, the progressive politics are possible. Because what we're seeing at the moment is really a retreat of the public sphere in general. You know, people no longer place their hopes in politics. They uh, either they settle for what they have in Italy or they move abroad. Um, so I think it's a, a basically a very pessimistic uh, situation. Membership of the Eurozone seems to have been pretty disastrous for Italy. The country's experienced deindustrialization, GDP growth has stagnated, there's very high youth unemployment. How do you explain continued commitment to the Eurozone, even on the far left? I, th- I think the problem is the problem is that some um, some forces on the far left, like so, so in um, in the last European elections in uh, 2014, uh, Rifondazione and uh, some other small uh, centre left parties stood as uh, the other. The party was called uh, the other Europe with Cypress. And the idea was, let's do a Italian version of Syriza. Uh, I think that was somewhat dubious, even at the level of name recognition, uh, given that naming your party after a foreign political leader is pretty strange. Uh, but also, of course, uh, the, much more importantly, is that Syriza very quickly, uh, obviously, proved to uh, have no strategy for Europe and really didn't know what it was doing. Uh, and then people are unwilling to give up on the idea that it could somehow be given another try, perhaps involving more important uh, states, like obviously Italy, uh, Spain or, or France or whatever. Um, I think part of the problem is a misunderstanding of what is wrong with the, the Eurozone, which is like, it's not like it, it's particular leaders or who happens to be in government in Germany or whatever. But the very fact of the single currency denies Italy and indeed all of the countries uh, a right to the, the right or ability to set uh, to to like use the tools of monetary policy. Um, so the effect of uh, the euro uh, on a country with uh, so high internal demand like Italy basically being to constantly depress wages and then push up the price of its exports. Um, so it just renders it systematically less competitive uh, relative to Germany. Uh, and also, of course, um, it's, uh, the, the ECB has... Uh, um, so the, um, it's like the, uh, the ECB won't lend to Italy unless it remains under a 3% budget surplus limit and yet it also has absolutely sky-high public debts. Uh, rationally, it would be able to inflate away those debts in, uh, through, uh, through devaluation in a, in a manner of a country like Japan um, or through uh, sort of public investment and economic growth, but the euro doesn't allow it to do either. Um, so your question was focused on far left specifically. I mean, I think there's a, there's a combination of um, a sense that the so firstly the 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 hope of of euro reform, Yanis um, um, Varoufakis is running a list for the European election, and uh, the Italian component of which will be led by uh, Luigi Di Magistris, who's the mayor of Naples, um, who and you know they're effectively a, a project for reforming the eurozone. Uh, then there's the sense of kind of distrust for sovereignist or or what is seen as nationalist politics. 
um, and the belief that those things are kind of the preserve of the far right alone, so that even if the Lega have currently dropped their call for a European referendum, uh, sorry, a referendum in Euro membership, um, it's more their kind of thing, and that even to talk about it is just to feed a reactionary uh, narrative. Um, and then I think there is uh, also a certain kind of uh, cultural pessimism, um, which also really informs the fact that the Five Star and the Lega have dropped the call for the referendum, which is that this kind of belief that Italy is kind of chronically feeble and unable to stand on its own two feet and therefore leaving the euro would actually be uh, impossible. Uh, maybe it was a bad idea to join originally, but uh, the basically Italian institutions and so on are, are too weak to be able to actually pull off the, uh, the, the exit. I mean, that has a certain uh, popular resonance uh, as well, without doubt. I mean, if you think at the current moment how difficult it is to form a government, uh, it's very hard to believe that, that anything could be formed that would be able to pull off such a, a huge uh, shift in the, the, the state's like position, international standing. Um, yeah, so I, I think it's uh, really the, it's a combination of a, a certain kind of economic illiteracy, uh, a pessimism about the possibility of pulling it off, and then uh, a, a, a general sense of, of, of okay, that the left is in a sort of besieged and defensive position, and that the uh, the mounting hostility towards uh, Europe is is just one of the dynamics of the rise of the hard right. Um, I certainly don't think it would be fair to characterise the the popular views of the. Eurozone, according to those factors, though, um, in the sense that, uh, well, I mean, really, the interesting dynamic is that while about um, while o, o, um, Italians over forty-five years of age want to leave the euro, so want to stay in the eurozone by a factor of about three to one, uh, under forty-fives actually narrowly favour leaving the euro. Um, of course, among uh, and that's really also the the kind of groups who vote for Five Star. Um, among uh, young Italians, there's 35% youth unemployment. Uh, Italians aged between 18 and 34, about two thirds of them live with their parents. Uh, so they have a very dramatic experience of the the way in which uh, the euro has um, shaped the the crisis in Italy. Uh, being one of only four Eurozone countries not to have returned to pre-2008 GDP levels. And also, um, in particular, given that when Italy joined the euro, it was explained by both centre-left and centre-right that this was going to be this big magic bullet, that it was going to save Italy, that it was going to bring in this aura, uh, era of growth and stability and so on. Um, so it was sold in a very optimistic prospectus, uh, but then... Most young people have an extremely negative experience of of living under the uh, the eurozone monetary regime. Um, so I think that there is a a, a uh, an anger, and that it connects to a wider distrust of existing institutions. Uh, but it doesn't have any kind of coherent political expression. And parties like Five Star and Lega mainly use euroscepticism. Um, in a fairly cheap and demagogic way, but don't really have any plans to uh, to actually resolve the euro issue. You've been listening to Politics Theory Other.
You can follow the pod on Facebook and Twitter. We're at Poll Theory Other. And if you like the podcast, please do consider rating or reviewing it on iTunes. Thanks for listening. I'll be back next week.